guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to take a minute and thank our incredibly generous sponsors, Custom Concrete Specialists, PML Construction, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Liquid Trucking, Risk Skill Consulting. Thank you one and all. We really appreciate your support. Now today's episode. So um, I, I feel blessed and very fortunate that I collect a pretty unique set of friends on the road. And um, let me introduce Pete Suska. Come on to the stage. Um, Pete Suska is the principal and founder of a consultancy called OPEX Safety. Pete's from Connecticut. I'll tell you quickly so that uh, we can get into discussion. Um, Pete has an extensive background in the fire service. He'll probably refer to that. Uh, Pete's a safety leader uh, with uh, Otis Elevator. Uh, internationally, he worked and was responsible for a large portion of Europe. Um, and uh, Pete's a dear friend. And, and if there's a concept, really, that Pete talks about and has taught me about that uh, is meaningful to me, it's, it's risk literacy. So this is very much in alignment with what Corey just uh, conveyed to us all. And Doug, come on up. My homespun introduction of Doug is we were immediately friends. <laughs> um, Doug is an interesting cat, is the word he likes to use. Um, Doug is a, a self-described recovering OSHA enforcement official. Uh, who is now spreading the, uh, the, the gospel of, of HOP and um, last year, I think, right? You two guys met at this event. Right yeah. yeah, so you became fast friends with somebody else. And um, Pete and, has been a guest on Doug's podcast. Uh, Doug is the, the, also a risk and safety consultant um, he owns Fletcher Safety Consulting, and he hosts a podcast, which is also a video podcast, called the What's the Hazard Podcast. So I'm happy to invite these guys. Um, they've been having really great conversations routinely on Doug's podcast, and we're going to try to have a really great conversation here, just letting them be who they are. How many of you uh, have heard... <laughs> Um, how many of you ever heard of Car Talk, which is a show on NPR? Yeah, so, all right, a lot of us, we may be dating ourselves. But, you know, that was hosted by two brothers, right? And they refer to themselves, I think brothers, yeah, they refer to themselves as Click and Clack, the Tapper brothers, and they have a really interesting rapport. So Pete says that about Doug now all the time. It's my brother, Click and Clack. We're like, we're like Car Talk. So have a seat. I think you guys are mic'd up. Stand if you'd like. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. For I'm going to sit on this. So, you want to sit? You want to stand? Sit. Sit. Yeah. sit. All right. And capture an episode that Doug can use for his podcast as well. And this really revolves around safety uh, or common safety leadership gaps, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Pete has an uncanny ability to communicate risk upwards at an executive level within an organization. And I've never been to a safety conference where that's not a topic of discussion. And uh, Doug has the ability to bring out the best in people. So let's uh, welcome them to the stage like this is a live, yeah. 
a live edition of the podcast. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Can you hear me? All right. Well, I'll get this started. Uh, really, really happy to be here. This is the only conference I go to. When I left OSHA almost 10 years ago, I swore I'd never go to another conference. Man, I was so tired of conferences. Uh, but then Tom invited us, invited me last year. We met at uh, Tyler's organization and became friends. And he invited me last year to be the after lunch entertainment. I wasn't actually a speaker, but uh, I had to provide some entertainment until the actual speakers came on. Uh, but I had an opportunity to meet so many wonderful people at this conference. So this is the only conference I will ever go to probably in the future. Although. I've been to the VPPPA many, many times as an OSHA person, and that's a great conference. So how many of you have been guests on my podcast? There are probably five or six people in this room that have been guests on the podcast and others that I would love to have. It is just simply an opportunity for true believers, like-minded safety people to talk and share information. I've been very fortunate to have People like Pete come on and share, and, and the people that listen, my mom and I think a few others, uh, are very fortunate to have access to this information because uh, that's, that's the point of why we do this. So um, we're going to, this is the first time we've had an audience. Usually it's just me and the guests sitting in a studio or doing a, some type of virtual. Yes. So this is unusual for us, and I apologize if it, I don't actually prepare notes. We don't, this is just, fly by the seat of the pants. And so that really makes it difficult for the guest because they have no idea what I'm going to do to them. And so, um, uh, but I know Pete's up to the task. Am, so. so we're going to try. We're going to sit down here and we'll get started. And uh, the topic that was chosen for us was common gaps that we have seen in safety management, safety leadership. Uh, I'm still just a safety grunt. I'm just still out humping inspections and hanging pumps and stuff in facilities, and so I have an opportunity to see kind of at that level issues with safety and health management and leadership challenges, and Pete, as Tom mentioned, does this at the highest levels. Um, I, I will throw out a shameless plug. If you don't know Pete or you don't work with Pete, you should because he will make you better, so I would encourage you to, uh, you know, get his contact information. And uh, I'm going to sit down, man. All right. I'm not going to watch you. I'm going to sit down, too. All right. So I just want to say the president of my fan club is here, uh, Mark. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, and Mark's been on the podcast graciously. Right. Gabe has been on the podcast. Tom still threatens to be on the podcast occasionally. And uh, Ezra is going to be on the podcast. I just met someone earlier that's going to appear with me, Lyndon, if she's here. So uh, it, it, this is just... I can't tell you how much I appreciate this opportunity. So um, along the lines of safety leadership gaps, um, I, I'm in facilities all the time, as are you. And one of the common themes that I continue to see with regard to safety leadership deficiencies or gaps is this kind of this um, reactive safety approach that people often take. I don't know that it's intentional, but I think, you know, much like uh, Mr. Pitzer said, um, the, the reaction that people have to serious incidents or even fatalities is uh, very, uh, it's very rapid and very dramatic and obvious, but oftentimes it is, um, you know, uh, I just had this in one of my client facilities recently. They had an incident, they had a, a pretty severe laceration, 
And so immediately they were in the Uline catalog looking for more cut-resistant gloves. Yeah. You know, and that tends to oftentimes be the reaction. And um, I'm not sure that's exactly what you would recommend. No, no, it's, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, and I always want to say it's, it's tough to follow you two guys, so nice job, both of you. Uh, yeah, I, you know, reactivity is, I come from, okay, Tom, I come from the fire service, right? We're looked at as a reactive organization, right? You think the fire, these firefighters are reactive. I will tell you, and, I, and I've interviewed a lot, I was a fire chief, and I've interviewed a lot of other fire chiefs, and I say to them, what percent of the decision making that you do at a fire happens before the fire? Anyone, anybody wanna give me an answer? What, what, what your average fire chief says to that? 70. Yeah, uh, 70 to 80% of the decision making happens before we ever hit the fire scene. Okay. We know the neighborhood, we know the building construction, we know the time of day, we know the flow of the hydrants, we know, we know all of that stuff. Okay. So as much as we're reacting to a fire, we're not going there in a reactive mode. We're going there knowing a lot. Okay. And, and I think what reactivity comes from in a lot of organizations is measurement. If you measure results, then you're going to react to results. And I will tell you, most executives measure results, folks. Okay? Profitability, cost, all of those things are results. And that's why TRIR and that's why incidents fit right into their vernacular. Those are results. So when you're dealing, when you're waiting for results, of course you're going to be reactive to those results. That's what sets up the reactivity. And what perpetuates the reactivity is how you deal with the result. Okay? So now let's say you don't have such a good, you have an incident, right? And if you go to that incident and you're so focused on the safety that you forsake other things, you create risk in those other things that you don't focus on, those become tomorrow's fires. So at the same time you're firefighting, you're an arsonist. That's right. You're creating tomorrow's fires fighting today's fires, and you just keep doing it. And I will tell you, if, you know, I'm, I'm with executives a lot, and I'll say to folks in the room, how many of you folks were hired to be proactive? Right? Okay. How many folks feel like they're being proactive every day? And the hands will go down. The hands will go down. And in the fire service, we have two entities. We have fire prevention and suppression, the firefighters, okay? They don't really like each other that much because <laughs> no self-respecting firefighter wants to be in fire prevention, I'm just gonna tell you right now. Okay, those are the people, you know, firefighters will say those are the people who can't make it on the fire ground, okay? But the reality is fire prevention those people are the real heroes. And they're not recognized for it because they're preventing fires. They're preventing harm, okay? We're responding to and making the harm situation better. We're not preventing it, the firefighters, okay? Fire prevention is, okay? And, and if you go into your organization, how much is predictive uh, people, predictive people and people with foresight appreciated? Now we thank the firefighters. We think problem solving, I'll, I'll put it in the vernacular of business, problem solving, right? How many people feel very good about problem solving? How many 
People see people getting patted on the back for problem solving. That's firefighting, folks. Problem solving is firefighting. Par problem preventing is fire prevention. Okay? And we bring in problem solvers, pro and we problem solvers perpetuate themselves with extra problems, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And that's how you become reactive, folks. And that's how you stay reactive. And the only way you get out of that is you have to rebalance the way you're reactive so you have space enough to be proactive. That's how you change an organization. Doesn't happen overnight, but, but it's, it's like a 12-step program. First, you gotta realize, hey, I'm reactive, and we're all reactive, and that's not a good thing. That's the first step. So you, your, your company is um, OPEX, Operational Excellence. Um, I'm just a safety guy. You look at the bigger picture, obviously, and which I think is, has yeah. been really enlightening to me because I've never been a big thinker, big picture guy. You're a big thinker, Doug. Uh -huh. You are. Well, I'll give you some credit. So um, the question is, therefore, um, talk a little bit about risk benefit. We had this conversation at lunch when we were talking about that process. Yeah. We both evaluated a process where there is uh, a, a need to question the necessity of the process rather than just try to make the process right. less exactly. riskful. Exactly. You know, and I, and I, a lot of what I do in organizations, you know, I, I think a lot of the people that talk about ROI for safety back work ROI from the predication that somebody's gonna get hurt, okay? I don't even go in that direction. I, what I see is when I see an unsafe situation, I realize that decision-making isn't good. And the first place to see the health of decision-making in an organization is their processes. Not just manufacturing and service, but hiring and procurement, all of those things, okay? If those things are not balanced, if decision-making at the tier one level of the organization, the top of the organization, is not balanced. And what I mean by balanced is when we make decisions at home, we're balancing benefit and risk to the best of our ability, our perception, okay? But we're also balancing across values. And, and that's what decision making is, is balancing across values. I mean, you go into walking the front of any business, what are you gonna see on the bulletin board? Policies, values, right? Uh, you got the ethics policy, you got the quality policy, you got the safety policy, you got the environmental policy, right? But nobody teaches people how to make decisions across policies. I've yet to find an organization that has a defined decision-making process to balance across policies. And that's the problem, okay? So when we give people policies and we give them policy-based training, and then we send them out there and say, make good decisions, okay? And what are we measuring? The outcome of the decision. We're not measuring the decision-making process, and that's where the risk lives. We're measuring the outcomes. And what I'll tell you, I, I was just talking to somebody about, you know, let's say if I had a company and I was hiring people to drive a truck, and uh, where, where would you go to figure out how good this candidate was as a truck driver? Where would you go look to find information? Where would you folks look? Find information on somebody's driving. Motor vehicle department, right? I go to the motor vehicle department, I'd run the records and say, okay, last 10 years, last five years, whatever the data shows, was this person a good driver or not? Based on their incidents, based on their, right? Exactly. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now, you can drive over the speed limit and you can look at your phone and not get anything on your motor vehicle record for a long period of time. Does that make you a safe driver? 
No. It's, you're an unsafe driver. You're a fortunate person from an outcome perspective. Okay, but if I'm measuring outcomes, you look safe. See where I'm going? It's process health that is the indicator of outcomes, not other outcomes. Okay? And process health is the predictor of risk. It's ahead of risk. Because when we're not balancing the way we make decisions, we create imbalanced processes. Really good benefit over here, a lot of risk carried with it. That goes out to the shop, that goes out to the service, and what, what's going on? There's this risk being built. And that risk ultimately presents itself as harm. Mm. Or near misses, or whatever. They're all events, okay? So you've gotta be able to see that. You've gotta be able to see decision-making health in your organization. That is a predictor of risk and benefit, and it's a predictor of what's coming down the road. And it makes you proactive. You wanna be proactive? That's what makes you proactive. Okay. Yeah, we, we were talking about um, that process, and I hate to get down into the minutia, but we were talking about that process where we were laser table cutting, oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. had skeletons, and yeah. we had an employee that was manipulating those at the end of the process. Yeah. And the question became... I, well, I'll tell a story, quick story. Three, yeah. I, I'm in this factory, they're making uh, uh, cabinets out of steel. And uh, there was this laser cutting or, or stamping mm -hmm. process, and out comes the skeleton of a piece of sheet metal, which is more holes than it is sheet metal. And I'm watching the guy, he's got cut protective gloves, he's got cut protective sleeves on, he's got eye protection. And he takes this sheet and guess what he does with it? He rolls it up into a ball. I'm watching this guy roll this thing up into a ball. It's about this big. And he picks it up and he walks over a dumpster and he throws it in the dumpster. And I'm, look, I, I was taught process improvement back in the 80s. Uh, I was in a corporation that was trying to get the Malcolm Baldrige Award. So I've been in, in the process thinking world for a long time. Everything I look at is a process to me. Okay? And I'm saying to myself, what value does rolling this up in a ball and throwing in a dumpster add to this business? Yes, did I see that the fact that he could probably cut his face, cut his body, something that wasn't protected by the fact that he was doing it? Yeah, but I, was, I went right to the process and said, this has no business value. But if you were, you were a safety person, you go up there and say, oh, ho, 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 you're going to get hurt. You got a JHA, you got a JSA, what are you doing? Have you figured this risk out? Maybe you need more, let's go to the Granger catalog. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we'd figure this out as a safety issue. It's not a safety issue. It's a process issue, okay? And what I'm gonna tell you right now is I see a lot of safety professionals and a lot of companies putting really, really good safety on bad processes. Mm -hmm. You know what happens when you do that? It falls off. It's like painting on rust. It's like buying the best paint in the world and painting it on a rusty surface. Looks good for a while, and then it just falls off. Okay, so you gotta go back and you gotta, you gotta validate that that process has business health, operational health. And if it doesn't, that's your ROI opportunity. Right. And then safety comes along for the ride in the business ROI, and the business ROI is immediate savings. Because this isn't good for business, never mind for safety. And as I change the process, I either eliminate the exposure, I eliminate the hazard, reduce the hazard, and that comes along for the, co the cost of the ROI of, of cost savings and mm -hmm. making it a better process. I mean, I, I was in the aerospace business for a long time. A anybody heard of a burr or deburring? Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. 
This company that I was in made aerospace engines. I won't tell you who they were. Um, and deburring was a part of the process. Now, when I look at deburring as a safety or environmental professional, I'm going to tell you they spent millions and millions of dollars not only on burring-related injuries, because it was hand deburring, they spent millions and millions of dollars on ergonomic solutions. And the question I asked them was, what's the value of a burr? It's rework. What you're doing is rework. Make the thing right the first time. This is rework. You know, until I could get them to understand that this was rework, then it became more of a business value and more of a business improvement opportunity than just, and then now we cut out, we cut out all the burrs and we cut out all the solutions. See what I mean? It's like, it made, and it made sense. But mm -hmm. you had to change their perspective. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes the, uh, the incidents that we look at as safety people are really just symptoms. They're of symptoms. A... They're exactly symptoms. Mm -hmm. I've never ever found safety as an anomaly or not so good safety as an anomaly anywhere. Not so, not so good safety, and I'm not talking about incidents, I'm talking about excessive risk, is an indicator that you're not making good decisions in your company, period. And where you find the results of those decisions, you will find other risk there too. Because safety is so granular, it's so easy to see. Every, we all have a safety opinion. My kids can look across the street at the guy doing the snowblower and sticking his hand down the chute and say, Dad, that's not a good thing. I said, yeah, I know, you know, but I can't <laughs> talk to this guy. But, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. Everybody has an opinion about safety. Safety is very granular. So if you see safety, it will always show you a way into looking at a process where there's other risk that isn't getting measured yet. Mm -hmm. It's a really great uh, indicator of other business risk. What, what can I, as the safety guy, do to maybe uh, inform upper management or yeah. leadership that, that it may be more process related than just you know, adding more PPE to the, to the mix? Is there a way that that can be approached or is that yeah. beyond my scope? <laughs> Yours, ours? Me personally, I just tell them. But. Well, I mean, I think a lot of companies have process improvement people, operational excellence people, process. How many folks have process improvement people in your companies? Okay, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's an important piece of an organization. Unfortunately, the process improvement people don't always look at safety the way that we look at safety. Okay, and I think one of the things, and I would try to educate yourself in business value, educate yourself in. What, how your business creates value, okay? Is it create value by people? Is it create value by machines? Is it create value by material? And where's the balance of all those things? The more you spend on people, the more value I have in saving time, right? Okay, the more product you waste, the more value I have in looking at, at productivity or cost of product, right? So I take a look at that, I try to understand the dynamic and the decision-making of the business. The other thing, Doug, is, let me just go to this one. Mm -hmm. um, this slide I made 30 years ago. Actually, somebody made it for me because I used to get up and act this out. And, and this slide, this is the challenge in the safety profession today. And I know I'm talking about bigger stuff here. But the whole issue in the safety profession today that needs to move forward is getting leaders to respect risk as much as they respect harm. 
to, to, re to, to recognize the potential for results equally to the result. Okay, because now, I mean, that's a change. That's a big change for a leader mm, to big. have faith yeah. in that, that's right? Big. So what you have to do is you have to recalibrate their way of thinking. So what I do is, and this slide's 30 years old, um, is I say, look, the rock in all of these situations is the same rock, same size, same mass, fell from the same height, fell in the same place. And then I ask them, which is the highest severity rock in these situations? And if they really don't understand what I'm talking about, some of them may say the rock on the right represents more severity, a higher severity rock, than the rock on the left. And then some of them will say, what's the answer? They're all the same. Mm -hmm. Why? Because severity is capacity for harm, not the actuality of harm in any given situation. It's the capacity of harm in that rock. As you can see, this rock has different outcomes. Okay, and so do fatality hazards. Now I ask them, all right, do you treat the rock on the right differently than the rock on the left? And this is when they look at the floor. Because they know the answer. And I, and I have to kind of pry it out of them. They'll say, I'll say, come on, come on, tell me the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we treat the rock on the right like, oh. You know, we'll stop production. We'll spend money we never had before. We'll do all kinds of things if a fatality happens. I said, why do you need a fatality to appreciate the rock on the right? It's the same as the rock on the left. Why do you need harm to prove to you that rock on the left can kill somebody? And that's the problem. And look, it's human nature, folks. We um, confound hazard with risk. And that confounding from a personal experience perspective is history of exposure to hazards. How we've seen hazards like this manifest themselves into harm. How much harm we've seen. What we've personally seen, right? That is our history of calibrating hazards or risk, okay? So it's confounded with history. It's confounded founded with the last time I got hurt by it, okay? And so what I do is I separate hazard from risk. Really hard separation. Because hazards are business decision points. Every single fatality hazard you have in your company, every serious, serious injury hazard you have in your company is allegedly there for a business reason. Go back and tell the executives they need to prove the value of the business reason for those hazards. Why do we keep them? Now, what are we going to do to control them? What are we going to do to train people? Why do we need them? And I will tell you, I see a lot of safety professionals, even high up safety professionals, that say to me, Pete, you know, don't go questioning the hazards. This is how we do business. And I say, nope, that's not your job. Your job is to question everything that is of risk to your people. And it's their job at the executive level to make the right decision with that information. But do not hold back that information. Do not. Mm -hmm. Do not hold it back because you don't think they're going to make the right decision or they can't make the right decision. It is their job to know. And it's your job to tell and provide options and mm -hmm. all the rest. Right? You, you're, as a safety professional or 
You're not a, you're not a business decision maker. You help business decision makers because they got to balance cost and quality and all the other stuff along with that thing you just brought them. Okay, they make the ultimate decision. Okay, and and I, this is what it takes really to get those decision makers to begin to realize that they need to where. So I say, where should we measure risk now? Oh, Pete, on the left. Yes, that's right. Now I have to move them to seeing that we need to measure hazards and we need to measure risk and that those are just as valuable to them as outcomes. And now I can start to shift my metrics. I can start to shift my measures because now they see the correlation between the two but before they did not. They needed harm or near harm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Is that that's a really, really important transformation for people. If you, don't, if you don't make huge. this transformation, they're not going to get your leading indicators. Yeah. They're not going to connect with them. That, that is the pinnacle concept. So I don't know what the next question is supposed to be. <laughs> Truthfully, we've actually arrived at that. You know, that is really what we were leading yeah, up yeah, to. Let, that's such an important concept. I do, I do unless you want to add something let's, your let's, last Yeah, line. let's look at this. Uh, and I throw this up. Please, I'm going to disclaim the heck out of this. But I throw this up as a pure visual. When I go into an organization, the first question I ask the leadership team is how safe do you want to be? How safe do you want to be? And how do you think they express that? In terms of what? Harm. Yeah, incidents. Incidents, harm, okay? Now you'll go to some companies, they'll say, maybe your company, you have a vision statement, you have a policy statement for, right? Folks have a vision policy statement? And it says in there, we are committed to X, Y, Z, right? To not harming our employees. No harm. Ooh, that's an interesting conversation, no harm. Let's take the UV rays from the sun. Harmful, right? So are we going to stop at any exposure? Are we going to stop at time of exposure? Are we going to stop at sunburn? Are we going to stop at level of burn? Are we going to stop at cancer? Where's the line of harm that we're going to stop at? See what I mean? We have to draw those lines. And that's what this kind of tool is for. It's not to be buried in your risk assessment process. It's to have a conversation, the rocks across the top, right? We got the big rock all the way to the ping pong ball across the top. That's the hazard and its severity. And then we have exposure. How often I'm exposed to the rock, how many people are exposed to rock, whether I'm breathing the rock, whatever it is, okay? Simplistically. And now we've got to decide that word that we talk about all the time in our safety policy, and that's the word safe. What is safe? Or what I call safe enough. Because safe enough is based on the level of safety that you as an organization personally are happy with. And it might not be the same that I have in my organization. That's why it's safe enough for you. And we've got to figure out, we all have to figure out where that line is. Because if it's the line of yellow and green, oh boy, let me tell you, folks, a lot of your controls today, those administrative controls, those human controls, are in yellow. 
And lockout tagout is a great example. I'm going to tell you, most of your lockout tagout you think is in yellow, I'm going to tell you it's probably red. Because I, can, I can't think, since the lockout tagout standard came out, and all, all the lockout tagout auditing I've done, I've never found people good at lockout tagout. Have you? Uh, well, not comprehensively. Yeah, There's right. usually gaps. Yeah, right. always and that's just a snapshot. Yeah. That's just a snapshot. We're talking about perfect reliability, folks. And it, if you're not perfect, you die. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, and a lot of people are still in red and they think they're yellow. Some of them think they're green, mm -hmm. but they're really red. Right? right? They're really red. Yeah. And that's where the conversation comes into play is what do we need to do? What do we need to do differently? Do we need to change the process? Uh, and, and at the executive level, some executives need to get to the point where they're capable of saying, we're not going to do certain kinds of work anymore. We're not going to take certain kinds of hazards in anymore. Now we're just going to put controls in place. We're just not going to do that. Because I don't see us having a, a viable enough culture or control to be able to put us in a place where we can call safe. Yeah, I've seen that many times. Yeah. And that's the big discussion that I have with a lot of these leaders is drawing this process of what I call drawing the line. So we can decide where is the line and how to prioritize and how to know if we're safe. Because it's just not a word that everybody uses the same way. Mm -hmm. Safety, when you talk about safety to people, it's perception for the most part. And everybody's got a little different perception of what safe or safe enough is. And that wouldn't fly with quality, and that wouldn't fly with finance or financial calculations. Why does it fly with safety? It shouldn't. And that's a big gap in a lot of companies, right? It's a very foundational gap. Not everybody speaks safe enough the same way. Mm -hmm. I love that. That was a long-winded answer. No, no, no. I, I, you know, I love that, and I, I completely agree. And um, I want to ask one last question. Just in, for the sake of time and moving forward, I'm going to ask one last question. I don't understand a word that Mark and his guys talk, what they're talking about yeah. when they're describing all yeah, of the... Yeah. But, I knew that this was the future. When I came to this conference last year and I, when we started learning about these, the wearable technologies and the, the data capture and all of these, you know, I, I was like, I'm about done. I, I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. But I know this is the future. It's very yeah. exciting. So I try to understand. I apologize. What excites you about Make You Safe? Well, I, you know, last time I was here, I told the guys in the mezzanine that I had a physics degree. And they were like, ooh. <laughs> right. and, and I told them also that my physics instructor said, Pete, you should really find a job that hasn't had any physics involved in it. <laughs> right, right. But I still have a, 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 a you know, kind of science thinking perspective. Right. So I really have an appreciation for what Mark's saying. And I can visualize the reality of what he's saying. And, and I was talking to Tom, I said, you know, what if we could take a forklift, for example, and draw a danger zone around it? and have it being a moving danger zone, and then start to see where people interface with it. Now, I'm not looking at that just from risk perspective, but if you, anybody familiar with process improvement, spaghetti diagram, okay? Now what am I doing is I'm creating a fatality serious injury spaghetti diagram around a plant, okay? And then I go back, instead of managing the risk, I go look at the process. What process value puts these people next to that danger zone, and I want to see the business value for that. Because if we don't have a business value for that, 
then I can start to separate people from danger zones. And I'm not going to do it with controls. I'm going to do it with business value. Okay? Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty neat opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Thank you, bud. Yeah, man. Well, don't get up yet. So I'm really glad you revisited that. I think that's one of the most valuable things you do. Doug probably thinks this too, right? But that ability to start asking questions about business value and process value that exists. Um, and I know you've got a wealth of stories. Yeah. But uh, what else comes to mind? How, you know, how, how do we communicate that? How do you ask those questions? When do you ask those questions when you're trying to uh, change the yeah. perception of the rock upward? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I was just with a plant, a plant manager the other day. Uh, this is a tool making plant, makes hand tools uh, and the like. And uh, we're, this guy came from a plant, uh, an aerospace plant. So he's got a process thinking background. We're walking through the plant, we're going to Gemba stations, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, you know, Gemba walks, okay? And I, and I go to the Gemba station, and what are they measuring for safety? Safe days and good catches. Now, safety is a good catch is great, but it was the same slide at every Gemba station. And that's not the purpose of a Gemba walk. The Gemba walk is to see the reality in that area, in that, in that time frame. Okay, so where are we with WIP? Where are we, what's going on? All of these real-time data sources. So I'm saying to myself, well, why aren't we measuring real-time data? Because we walked walk by a whole bunch of safety issues to get to the Gemba walk. You know, and, and he's walking around with me and he's spotting things and he's calling people to fix them. And I said, wait a minute. And I think his name was Mike. I said, Mike, why did the people in your plant see your plant through your eyes? Why are your eyes calibrated differently to the, what's acceptable and what is not acceptable in this plant? I said, we need to take some time and calibrate your next line leaders to your eyes, okay? And Corey talked about drilling. I mean, I know drilling from the fire service. That's what you do with these folks. Okay, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? What do you do? What do you see? What do you do? What do you see? It's like flashcards. You've got to drill on those things, right? You've got to get people primed up to the fact that they're going to see things that aren't right. What does it look like when they're not right? And empower them to make these actions. So the time now that we go do the gamble walk, I'm not seeing these things. And once those guys are ready, then they bring it down to the next level. So that every employee ultimately sees this stuff, is empowered to act on it and deal with it. So it doesn't have to be spotted by the next tier of management or audit or safety person or whatever. Yeah. Um, what kind of questions do you guys have from the audience? Yes, sir. Um, we've talked a lot about capacity and building capacity into um, processes. I'm just curious, is there a practical way that an organization can uh, quantify or measure their success or lack of success at building capacity into processes? Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, Tom, I think you mentioned I wrote a whole bunch of articles. One, one of the articles that I wrote was process health, okay? And process health, I created a whole bunch of attributes of process health that you could actually measure. Right? You could take a look at an operational process, and you can measure these attributes. And, and out of that, you can create a score, right? a health score, okay? which is a predictive indicator of risk. Right? So if I have a healthy, balanced process, I'm, I'm more likely to have good product first time out, first time right, 
you know, uh, low uh, harm capacity, all of those things. And yeah, I, I think you can create a, a quantitative way to look at process health and measure it that way. And, and I think the other piece of process health is, as you know, we, you know we, we make processes and hopefully we make them with the people that were through the work. Okay, that's one of the elements of process health. But processes evolve because the workplace is dynamic. You know, you, nothing is static in a workplace, other than maybe it's the, the columns, you know? I mean, things are always changing, and I think your real-time data can begin to talk about the dynamic of the workplace. It's like, wait a minute, why are people moving in this area? Why are they moving more over here? I mean, you can start to see that things are morphing in the workplace, and that, that's a good chance to sit down with everybody as part of a you know, a team of, of a, an area and say, hey, look, uh, the data says we're not doing things the same way that we did before. What's, what's behind that? What's going on? Well, you know, we had different flow. We have, all right. You know, so you can begin to understand and, and hopefully get ahead of some of that stuff because change, change is a huge factor um, that mostly uh, in the workplace doesn't have uh, uh, positive uh, ramifications. It has negative ramifications. <coughs> And people try to adapt to change, and as Corey said, uh, some of them are good at it and some of them are not. And we shouldn't have to wait for failure to realize that. I think you, you could build a scorecard yeah, sure. to quantify that. Sure, you could use a, you know, the, We've talked about good day and bad, gate, yeah. bad day controls, yeah. and those, those yeah. could carry different weights, yeah. certainly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, first off is eliminate the hazard. Second is reduce the number of hazards. Third. And, and third is not talked about a lot, is eliminate the need for exposure. There's no need to do that. There's no need to touch it. There's no need to be there. No operational need to be there. I've been in plants where people walked me through in a tour, places I was scared to go. They were uncomfortable going. I walked through a pipe plant making pipe where the guy said, we were on the aisle, the guy said, hold on a second, pipe went. He goes, okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, uh, if I can go there, I, anybody else can go there, what is the need to go there? What is the operational value of me walking in that space? And I don't, I don't mean to be contradictory here, but yeah. 18 years with OSHA, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> like exactly. that. I've seen some horror You know what I mean? I but wouldn't you, even walk in the but door. But you got to say to yourself, why are they comfortable being there operationally? Well, what's the value? And if we can eliminate the value, then we can eliminate the exposure justifiably. Not like, like you're going to put a guard up and people are going to want to take the bolts off to, to do their work, right? Justifiably. Mm -hmm. I was also going to ask about process, right? Creating capacity. We're all interested in that. Um, Lisa, I hate to put you on the spot, but maybe you can help me make sure I get it right. There's a, a, a recent book out, which is about uh, 4Ds. And it's uh, really describing you know, the, the desire to look for things and try to understand when work is either dumb or difficult or different or dangerous. Dangerous. So you know, looking through that lens, uh, and you know, as Corey was describing, right? Uh, looking for, for deep safe, uh, turning everyone into a safe century. Uh, asking about the, the business value of why we do the things the way that we do them. Um, and, you know, if you haven't read some of Pete's articles, I would encourage you to. They're awesome. In fact, everybody ought to read them twice. But 
the, you know, the, the impact that values have on decision-making process and really how that shapes our, our business processes and business practices and why people are uh, you know, exposed and why we're creating these opportunities for risks and hazards. So yeah, any other questions from the room? Daniel, thanks. Get a microphone to Daniel. He does. It's on, it's on its way. All right, Pete, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what's new? We're going to exchange roles. I'm Pete, your yep. CEO of a manufacturing company. How are you going to answer that? What is safe enough for you as CEO of a manufacturing company? Well, it's an iterative process, right? I may not be able to express risk the way that you can help me express it. So we got to come to an understanding of, okay, if I, if I do this job and I have a benefit, I see a benefit associated with this job. And I, and I think the, problem, the challenge of the safety profession is we don't talk benefit, we talk risk. Now our benefit is less risk, okay? We don't talk business benefit all day long. You're talking business benefit most of the time, right? So uh, we have to kind of understand the balance point between where we're getting good business benefit and what a level of risk is acceptable, you know, now I'm the CEO, is acceptable to me um, to, to keep doing that work, okay? And, and for each of these kinds of situations, we start to draw that line together uh, in a knowledgeable kind of way, balancing those two things, where we say, okay, this, is, this makes sense. Look, you, you can have too much quality in your business, you can have too much profit in your business, and you can have too much safety in your business. So there are thresholds here. I, I can, you know, if you say to me, Pete, I don't want any risk, I can put you out of business tomorrow. I can put you out of business tomorrow, right? So we gotta find that line. We gotta walk that line. And that's a, that's a you know, a understanding what, what it really means. Because safety professionals are gonna be asking money for risk, risk management. And if you're measuring outcomes, uh, you're gonna get frustrated for a while. Yeah. Done. Answer your question. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Any others? All right. These guys will be around the rest of the day. Um, thank you, guys, as always. I really appreciate it. Let's give them a hand. Thank you. I got the easy part. Yeah. Thank you. A Huda Media Production.